Jonathan. My name's Jonathan Frakes. How are you? The only reason I'm doing this is because Will Wheaton said you guys were cool. He said, I've known him from the beginning. You should do this. You're just buttering us up now. He didn't really say that. <laughs> he did say that. I didn't, you know. small enough community that they were like, oh yeah, you're the guy who wrote that file about planets. It turned out that Lucasfilm needed somebody to write a book called The Essential Guide to Planets and Moons. And Kevin Anderson and Steve Sansweet and I think some other people uh, told the publishing people, this guy's already written it. I know a guy with a text file. (laughs) Know a guy with a file, right? Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. We are at the GBB Podcast on Twitter, at the GBB Podcast on Facebook, and we are here for, obviously, another show. <laughs> when, what else would we be here for? <laughs> we could just be hanging out, talking. We're here to discuss po- political... Uh, the, 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 the current political climate in the yeah. United States? Let's not talk yeah. about that. How, How about, about that? No, this, that's one thing you can be assured of. We will never, we, well, I won't say never, but we're probably not going to talk politics. We're not going to focus politics. How about that? <laughs> it might come up in passing, but we're never going to have a whole episode devoted to it. How are you, though, Justin? I am doing good. I'm excited about 2016. You are? I Why? am. Um, I have a lot of things going on, but I'm excited for our podcast for it. Um, I think we're we were just talking off air, and I think we're hitting a little bit of a stride, and we're firming up guests or trying to, and I think it's going to be fun. I think so too. You know, it takes. I don't know. I've heard different numbers. I think I've heard 25 and 35, but there's a there's some number that's not very large when it comes to podcasts, and they say like most podcasts will die before they reach that number episode just for any number of reasons because the hosts weren't really that committed or because Mm -hmm. they didn't have anything to talk about or life got in the way for other things and it just kind of stopped um and they it's it's i'm just kind of speaking off cuff here i don't really have the statistics in front of me but apparently if you pass that number it's sort of you're not guaranteed success but the odds of your succeeding and going for a really long time have jumped exponentially. Right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool to be able to take an idea or something you always wanted to do to actually doing it. Yeah. And now at this stage, we're actually having people tell us, um, people are you know tweeting and commenting on Facebook to me that they're enjoying the episodes and you know, that's yeah. really cool. That's, I think, I mean, You've said before that I do most of the booking and I reach out to a lot of the guests. And what's nice from my perspective is when people are starting to come to us. Right. You know, I don't have to send out the emails. I'm not, I don't beg, but like basically asking, would you be interested in coming on the show? Mm-hmm. When you know agents or PR companies, when they come to us and say, would you be interested in having this person on your show? Or would you be interested in that interview? That's really great. But what I think is a lot more gratifying is exactly what you just said. When mm-hmm fans, listeners, people that we, and we're not just doing this for ourselves. You know, no. we know 
there are listeners out there and they're tweeting us and they're sending us messages on Facebook and they're, they're saying that was a great episode and they're contacting the people, the guests that we had. And they said, Hey, I heard you on the, you know, the great big, beautiful podcast. And it was a really great episode. You know, thanks for being on the show. Um, or they're, you know, we've had people tweeting us with, you know, guest ideas, people that they've, you know, they want to hear from. Mm -hmm. And I think that so far has been the most gratifying to really sort of get that feedback that it's not just you and me sitting here staring at each other <laughs> a computer, you know? Right, right. And we're getting to talk to some pretty cool people, too. We should, is, certainly are. And, you know, and I like to bring it I like to bring it around, though. We're talking to cool people, like our last episode with Jonathan Frakes. That was, you know, one of the dream... When I started the podcast, I mentioned it on the other one. That was one of my names. I was like, if we get to talk to him, we've arrived. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that to me was... <laughs> The pinnacle. Even if we've only arrived just like in our own mind. Exactly. Like, yes. <laughs> and, and, but the cool part about that was people, it felt like the people that listened to us got to talk with him too. I don't yeah. know if you know, it's kind of, I know it sounds weird to say that, but the, like, cause we asked our, fr our friends, our, I'll say friends, a lot of them are my friends and fans for questions and they give it to us and it's like they're part of it. You know, we yeah. bring them along with us and we talk to these guys about things that we know the listeners will want to hear about. That's cool. It is very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so it's onward and upward from here. Here's to a great new, uh, great new year. 2016 is going to be a lot better than the last. Exactly. And now that we're established, it's going to be a lot easier to, you know, get in there and get some different people. And also in 2016, we now live in a world where there is a new Star Wars movie that has been <laughs> put in theaters and we've watched it. <laughs> It's crazy, isn't it? It's like we're living in the future. <laughs> and uh, I remember, Jamie, one of your first tweets was, it didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. It was something like that. It was like, yeah. holy crap, it didn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of segues into beautiful segue. See, I am beautiful. You're a natural at this. Um, we're talking to Trisha Barr and Dan, and Dan Wallace. Wallace. Talking to both of them tonight. Yeah, it's. This is a good episode. Um, previously, we had on um, Adam Bray, um, who is one of the four co-authors for Ultimate Star Wars, which came out a few months back from DK. Um, Trisha Barr and Dan Wallace were two of the other co-authors. So we've now had three of the four. Um, and what's really interesting is that they each kind of come from a very different place. Uh, they all have different backgrounds, different experiences, uh, and they all brought that with them to the project. And... Um, it really comes across in our conversations. I mean, when you put the book together and you flip through the pages, you'd be hard pressed. If you didn't know, you'd be hard pressed to know who wrote what, which mm -hmm. is testament to their writing and the editing and the publishing. Um, but having talked to three of them, it really is interesting that um, they each have slightly different processes for writing. They each came from a different place. They each came from a different um, knowledge background of the material that they were writing. Um, and uh, so, it's, yeah, we, we get into a little bit of we don't just talk about the book. Um, with Trisha, we talk a, a bit about The Force Awakens. Um, we talk about her, her other work and her blog. Uh, Dan Wallace we talked to before The Force Awakens came out. So we talk a little bit about um, – I think we do, we do talk about The Force Awakens, but it's sort of like what are you looking forward yeah. to, that kind of thing. Uh, we talk a little bit more about uh, Ultimate Star Wars and and his writing process and his experience because he's written a ton of books. Right. Um, and it's going to be interesting. Pay attention because when we interviewed Dan Wallace, we asked him 
uh, the question, what, it, what if it isn't any good? What if the movie's not good? So <laughs> yes. It'll be, it'll be really cool to hear for you guys. You'll hear our speculation about it before. And then we're talking to Trisha Barr and we've actually seen it. So that's a pretty neat, in one episode, you're going to, man, we're bringing it. One episode, like, you're going to get to hear that. It's like you're, it's it's in the next hour. It's like time travel. Exactly. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna play that for you right now. Enjoy. Thank you for being on the show. It's great that you're here. <laughs> no, thank you guys for having me. And our show often focuses on our guest and their journey rather than specific content and projects that they may have worked on. So with that in mind. How did your journey as a writer begin? Is it something that just came natural or did you kind of find your way into it? It's kind of a funny story because I have this really unique story in that uh, professional writing. I'd always been a writer. I always liked to write, but um, I kind of lucked into something and I consider myself, you know, behind Lou Gehrig, I consider myself the luckiest guy on the face of the earth. And the reason why is because I started writing uh, fan stuff in the nineties. I, I got online in 93, 94 when the internet, there wasn't even the World Wide web yet. Uh, internet was basically America online and prodigy and CompuServe and a bunch of, uh, BBSs, uh, basically. And I found a star Wars fandom on there and I, I was interested enough that, Hey, there's other people who like star Wars. This is really cool. I, I love this information. Superhighway is so cool. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, there were some people who were creating like documents and they would share them. There was no, again, there was no web. So it would be on like an FTP server or something and you would download it from a university or something. <laughs> this is really a long time ago. And um, <laughs> I remember uh, it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it was, uh, what was fun was um, people were creating stuff and there's a lot of enthusiasm. And I loved Star Wars when I was younger. And I was like, it rekindled my love for Star Wars in particular. And I started writing a document called the Star Wars Planets Guide because um, I was like, hey, people are sharing information. This is really cool. Maybe I could make something that people would like. And the only payoff that I wanted was, you know, somebody to download it and somebody to say, hey, this was really cool. Thank you. Right. You know, that was it. You know, it was not a, a you know, looking to make money or anything, but I created this file, text file of, uh, you know, all the planets. So Alderaan and Tatooine and Dantooine and that. But also at the time, what the books that were out, the Timothy Zahn books were out, and I think uh, comics, the Dark Empire were out and so on. So I, it was sort of a proto-expanded universe stuff too. And the the thing was, this was early enough that the uh, there wasn't a really established Star Wars fandom. So uh, when they were writing stuff, like Kevin Anderson was writing Star Wars books at the time. Steve Sansweet, you know, who has a merchandise collection, was online in that. And they were it was a small enough community that they were like oh yeah you're the guy who wrote that file about planets it turned out that lucasfilm needed somebody to write a book called the essential guide to planets and moons and kevin anderson and steve sansweet and i think some other people uh told the publishing people this guy's already written it i know a guy with a text file (laughs) no a guy with a file right and and but but it wasn't that easy they were like okay but yeah we don't know who this guy is he could be an axe murderer or something. So <laughs> I had I had to go through, and I had written some stuff before. I wasn't out of the blue. I had written newspaper stuff, and I had written for some journals and things like that. And I had to sort of try out and that. And as long as they were like, okay, you're not completely flaky, they gave me the job. And I was just so excited. You know, it was a, literally I was writing a Star Wars book, and 
Um, so I just, I did the best job I could with it. And now I look back and I'm like, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I really, really, really put a lot into it because I was like, I would love, if this is the only thing I ever do, I'll be happy. You know, I, I did something uh, that was official Star Wars book. And uh, luckily um, they liked what I did. And then there was a droids book and they said, you want to do the droids book? And then eventually um, I got to indulge my other over the years, uh, as I got to know more people who worked in the industry and I said, Hey, you know what? I love comic books, uh, because I grew up with comic books. So I started working on, uh, the DC comics encyclopedia. And then uh, a couple of years later I did the Marvel encyclopedia and, uh, and that kind of led from there. So, so far I've worked in star Wars, Marvel and DC are my three mainstays, but I've also done Indiana Jones, supernatural Warcraft, um, um, Boy, I don't, I don't know. Uh, lots of stuff. Um, but it's, they're all stuff that I like, yeah. you know, that's the, the one thing that I, I, I think is so exciting is I don't think I've ever written something where it was just like, Hey, do you like the following? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I really don't, but I'm just going to pretend that I do so I can write the book. These are all things that I love, you know, like yeah. Warcraft. either I grew up with it or in the case of Warcraft, they're like, Hey, do you know anything about Warcraft? And I'm like, Oh well, yeah, I had an Alliance main for four years and I, you know, leveled up, you know, like, like, Oh yeah, they're having a movie coming out next year. Are you interested in doing something with that? I'm like, uh, yes. I am. <laughs> so I, I basically it's, it's a lot of work, but, and I got really lucky early on. I don't know. And I am perfectly honest cards on the table. I don't know if I could have pulled off that trick in 10 years later, you know, yeah. because that was the nineties and, and it was easier to get noticed. Yeah, if you I try would... to do the same thing now, I don't know that somebody else who tried to do the same thing could do what I did at the time. It was sort of a, uh, opportunity meets circumstance. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's kind of, it's kind of remarkable that, you know, you fell into this amazing career just by being a fan who said, Hey, I want to do something for fun. And then just not being too flaky, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and that's really it. And, and I really do think, and and I hate to say this because people will say, hey, how can I do the same thing? And, I, and I'm always like, you can't. I don't really know how you – well, and maybe they can, but I don't really know how you can because the way I did it is not the way that you would be able to do it, <laughs> you, you know, person that I'm talking to because the landscape is 90, 180 degrees from uh, – I, you know, yeah. it was tiny. You know, there was – you could count on two hands the number of people who were on the internet at that time, you know? Exactly. So it was like, well, there's this guy who wrote the Star Wars Planets file and there's nobody else, you know? <laughs> uh, but now, now you have a, you know, Wikipedia or something like that. And that's, that, that's made up of contributions from probably a hundred thousand different people. So, I mean, it's, I, it's, it's much more complex and I don't envy somebody who's trying to make a name for themselves in the, in the sort of publishing world that we're in now. It's, it's uh, harder to, it's harder it's to talk about that niche. It's hard. Yeah, it is. It's very hard. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of the, the lines and the, in the franchises that you've worked on. I mean, you mentioned a lot of them, Star Wars, DC, Marvel, the Batman, the, the Arkham games, you did a, the, a book on the art of, you have the new Ghostbusters book. Um, is, is oh, Ghostbusters. A, I forgot Ghostbusters. I was naming all <laughs> stuff earlier. I forgot yeah. Ghostbusters. What was I thinking? I wasn't going to let you forget it. <laughs> um, is there anything, is there any property that you haven't done that you were like, oh, that's, that's it. I, I'm just waiting for somebody to come to me with it, with, with that. Uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to jinx myself, okay. you know, like, <laughs> like I, uh, there's probably, there's probably definitely some stuff that I would love to do, but, uh, you know, I haven't had the opportunity, but, um, at one point it was, um, well, actually, you know, I, 
it, there's a bunch of stuff because I like a lot of stuff. I, I will say that at one point I was trying to do a – I don't want to jinx it, but I had a proposal to do a Game of Thrones book and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And then I had a proposal that at one point that had gone pretty far to do a uh, Breaking Bad really? book. Really? Uh, and it was actually like it was gonna almost gonna happen, and it fell apart because they just you know I don't know. There's a lot of complication things beyond the who's gonna write it to to produce a tie-in book. But I was trying to get that to happen, and uh, um, there's a bunch. Of, there's a bunch of other stuff. I always have. I've had uh, you know, for all the books that I've published, I've had you know five proposals that I was sort of trying to push behind the scenes and. And the vast majority of those don't end up going anywhere. But once in a while, um, something pays off. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you've written, um, including Ultimate Star Wars, which we're going to come back to in a second. But a lot of it has been it's been there have been reference books. You know, you, you mentioned the essential guides that you wrote and you've written a lot in that genre of, of sort of reference um, nonfiction. Um and I'm assuming at this point, because you have such a deep background with it, it comes relatively easy to you, I would imagine, compared to maybe somebody who doesn't write that for a living. But I'm wondering, do you find that kind of writing to be more or less difficult to write than something like fiction? I It's it's interesting because certainly it's one of those things where I've written fiction before. I've written uh, short stories. I had some Star Wars short stories published in uh, various places, magazines, and things like that. And I've written other fiction. And I love fiction, but... I also don't want to take away from what I think I've kind of carved out a niche, which is this nonfiction. And, and that goes everywhere from there's degrees of nonfiction. Mostly I'm a nonfiction writer and there's mm-hmm. degrees of that. There's like ultimate star Wars, which is a in universe, uh, description of, of, uh, you know, all the characters and, and droids and, and species of star Wars and uh, not in universe, but like, yeah. we're not talking, we're not talking, how did they make it? You know, but I've written those too. Like I wrote a book called uh, Star Wars Year by Year that was a history of the Star Wars franchise from the 1970s up through, you know, uh, the time it was published. So that was a his- literally a real world history book. I've done a bunch of those. Like I did the official tie in for uh, Man of Steel, the Zack Snyder movie. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that's that's not about Superman as a, as a character as much as is about, you know. Um, directors and and uh, gaffers and you know right. how do you make a movie right and so I, I do those real world stuff and then I do the ones where it's more of an encyclopedia of you know what is this uh, you know what is this alien called and then the third thing that I do a lot of which is really fun too is sort of in universe nonfiction and I wrote a book called the Jedi Path and mm-hmm. uh, that was a Jedi textbook. The uh, concept was that what if the Jedi in the Jedi Temple had a textbook? What would it look like? And uh, could we recreate it? And you know, could I do that? And so it was super fun because the idea was, you know, we talked about the Force and lightsabers and and all the Jedi things, but it was written as if it were um, being given to a, a Padawan, you know, in the temple. And so, uh, and then it was, it was a used book. It was a used copy. And mm-hmm. so in the margins, uh, previous owners had written in it. And the, the, this particular one, the previous owners were people like Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan and, and Anakin and Ahsoka. And so that was super fun because they're all like you know, yeah. doodling in it and stuff. And that is a, that's a weird hybrid where 
the content is really more nonfiction, but the actual structure, the framing structure of it is very fiction that you have to say, well, who's writing this section? Right. Um, what's their motivation? You know, are they, are they funny? Are they, you know, are they very dry and studious and, and all that? And, uh, it's a nonfiction fiction book almost. And we've, the, did a bunch of those. Jedi Path was super popular, so we did Book of Sith, uh, mm-hmm. the Bounty Hunter Code, which is sort of a Bounty Hunter's Boba Fett guide, and the one that just came out recently is the Imperial Handbook for um, the Empire. Um, but but it's great. <laughs> you know, I I like uh, owning that niche. It's it's super fun, um, and it's a. I'm I'm happy to do that. You know, yeah. I like to do fiction, but I'm not. You know, I don't consider this a step down or a, you know, a, uh, I'm settling for this. I, I like this. It's yeah. great. I, I, when I, before I was writing this, these are almost my favorite kind of books to buy. You know, I, I love buying nonfiction books and whether mm-hmm. it's about Star Wars or whether it's about ancient Egypt or something like that, you know, it's, it's, I like to learn about things. And I think that's why I, I've done well with these kind of books. I like yeah. to coordinate knowledge and organize facts and figures and, draw correlations between unrelated things and yeah especially when it presents and presents that history or that whatever you're writing about presents it in a way that that makes you see something from a different light and it's not just facts and figures you know it's it's a you're telling a story but with an actual story and you're not oh yeah no you're you're, yeah that's that's 100 percent right that's actually something that's kind of a subtlety it's it's uh it's possible to write the facts and figures and have it be super dry and it's possible to write the facts and figures and have it be kind of interesting. And it's, exactly. it's, a, it's a, um, it's hard to, it's hard to explain how, uh, why that is, but, um, but yeah, you're on to something there. Yeah. So you've written, uh, quite a bit in the realm of the expanded universe. So how challenging was it for you to work on a project like ultimate star Wars, where you had to kind of leave that behind? Was it hard to let it go of your, let the expanded universe go in your head when you were doing it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I've been asked that question before, and the, and the, the two points that I want to make on it are, um, you know, there's probably very few people in the world who <laughs> know more about the expanded universe than me. You know, I, I have so much. I wrote the the new essential chronology. Yeah. You know, and I was actually, I was probably 80, 80% finished with a book called The new new essential guide to characters i don't know what we're going to call it but it was going to be a guide to characters and it was going to be for del rey and it was going to be an update of the star wars essential guide to characters series and it was going to be all expanded you know you know it was going to be all you know um you know the new jedi order and the uh you know all the latest stuff it was going to be so super deep and i had i was 80 like i said i was 80 percent finished with it when disney acquired lucasfilm and Del Rey said, "Pause. Sorry, <laughs> pause. They, they, they didn't say they didn't say it's not going to happen, but they said we don't know what's going to happen, so just pause." And then it eventually turned out that you know it's not going to happen. You know, it's not going to yeah. happen. We have to pull the plug. And so that's disappointing. And I love the expanded universe, but at the same time, um, the 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 two things I want to take out of it is, for people who are similarly disappointed is I'm very glad that I don't know exactly what's going to happen when I go to see the force Awakens. Exactly. You know? I'm very excited that I don't have to sit there and be like, well, obviously, you know, grand Admiral Thrawn had, had yeah. you know, <laughs> done this Imperial remnant. And then he, you know, like that's not even, I don't have to worry about that. I can just watch what's on the screen. And I'm actually very grateful for that. And then, um, 
the other point on it is that um, when you're working with a, a universe like this that is has all these different parts and features, and you start to work in other universes that have different parts and features, and specifically the one I'm thinking of is DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, DC Comics is is all over the place. Not only in their comic book universe, mm-hmm. they had the Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was a complete reboot, right? Mm-hmm. They had Zero Hour, and they had Infinite Crisis, and they had the New Fifty Two, and they have all these all these uh, reboots. Yeah, They're people are freaking rebooting. out about Star Wars rebooting. They're obviously not oh, DC yes, fans. Yes, exactly, <laughs> and, and 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 exactly, and and I've gotten over that with DC. And then the people who are like, okay, well, it's a it's a reboot, and but it was the Anti Monitor, and he he did the reboot, yeah. so it still makes sense within the universe. But then you, if you take a step back and you look at DC, you're like. Oh, what about the Arkham games? That's not a reboot. It's just a completely different Batman. Yeah. What about Batman the Animated Series? A completely different Batman. What about, mm-hmm. um, you know, Batman the TV show from the '60s? Completely different Batman. What about the Christian Bale movies? Completely different Batman. And and, and as fans, we're fine with having so many Batmans out yeah. there. Not a problem. We're not we're fine. Like, oh, with it's so that Batman. Yeah. And so I almost and, and it doesn't mean that the uh, when the uh, Christian Bale movies came out. It doesn't mean that the Michael Keaton movies are non-canon. You know, it's just, oh, that's a different Batman. It's fine. Right, I can still right. watch them. And I really feel like that's the kind of the story with the Star Wars and Legends. And I, and I feel like as fans, sometimes, and I'm the worst of the lot, you know, I, I, I love continuity. Love it. But I also think that sometimes we as fans can put too much stock in that and it almost becomes a hindrance to enjoying the universe that we like and and i I, when i get really into something then i take a step back and look at batman Mm -hmm. like there's 16 batmans that i enjoy (laughs) and i don't i don't expect them all to fit together you know and i i think the same thing could be true for star wars adam west is your favorite one right (laughs) somebody asked me that and i said somebody asked me that question recently and i think uh my favorite Batman, just to take the question seriously, is uh, Kevin Conroy. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you, so I one hundred percent agree. So you mentioned uh, being a fan, and I had a, I just had a thought. Do you ever have to separate your fandom from the job you have to do when you when you're tasked to write something? Do they ever conflict with each other? A little bit, uh, yeah, a little bit, because um, you know, you can be really into something, and then, um. You know, you have to, there's a little bit of a weird thing too, when you're working on something that you really love in that sometimes you get so close to it that you're like, Ugh. you know, <laughs> like you have a deadline and then you have revisions and then, you know, um, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, you get to a point in some projects where it's so tedious, you know, you're like, Oh my God, I have to do all this and I don't have enough time. And <laughs> how am I going to get this done? And you really start to get like, God, I can't wait until I'm finished with this star Wars project or whatever. And it's the weirdest thing because, you know, it's a thing that you love, but you get so close to it that, mm-hmm. you know, anything, it's like eating the same food for like seven days in a row, you eat pizza <laughs> for seven days in a row. You're like, God, I'm sick of pizza. But then you, you take a week off and you're like, Oh my God, I really want some pizza. <laughs> That's kind of where I, <laughs> That's kind of what it's like in in that, um, you know, I I do a lot of Star Wars stuff and I have for a long time, but then I see the the trailer that was just released and I'm just like, oh, that's so exciting, you know, like I'm just as excited about it as anybody, and I'm actually not working on any Force Awakens tie-ins, so I have not when I when I when the prequels came out for Episode One, Episode Two, and Episode Three. 
I was doing tie-in books. So a year before those movies came out, I already knew the entire story. I had read the script, you know, I had blah, blah, blah. And there was just, it was like, it was a curiosity to see those movies. Like, oh, okay, that's how they adapted that piece. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that's what that, they, how they decided to go with that action sequence. So it but it was, nice a, there was no surprise. It's the first Star Wars movie that I'll be surprised in seeing since Return of the Jedi. Wow. It must be nice to be able to go into a blind then. It's, I'm, I'm super excited. <clears throat> so well, you brought it up, so let's just talk about it for a second. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the trailer recently came out, and you, you know, you, everybody loves it, and it's been watched something like 40 bajillion times already. Um, what do we do if it's not good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I, 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 I don't know that it's not going to be good in that. I think the risk is that it's not as good as we think it is. Because if you if you see the expectations of people, they're like, yeah, I think it's going to be the second coming. Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> and so I think there's a real risk that it's not that good because what's going to be that good. Right. Um, I think it'll be good. But I also I, you know, sometimes we work ourselves I can guarantee that when it comes out, there'll be fans who are like super over the moon. And then there are people who are like, oh, it was terrible because every movie ever is like that ever yeah. is like that. There's always some citizen Kane has people like, oh, it's so boring. you know. <laughs> and, and so people are going to hate it. So I think if we are just like, you know what, some people are going to hate it uh, and we reconcile ourselves to that fact, then I think we're in a lot better position than not yeah um and uh and that we find things to like about it because i can certainly look at the prequels for example and say oh you know i wish they hadn't done x or y but i I also look at them and i'm like this is really imaginative world building and and this action sequence is amazing and and uh you know the visuals on how they uh had created sort of this um you know the rain falling on the slanted rooftops on camino is is gorgeous you know Mm -hmm. and and you can still appreciate something even if you're not a hundred, you know, it's not a, it's not a zero sum game. You don't have to be, it's not all or nothing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, It's not all or nothing. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk publishing for a minute. I I work in publishing, you know, during the day, it's a little bit different, different side of publishing. Um, But we've been hearing about the death of publishing, the death of the book. I'm sorry, the death of the book for a long time. And I think it's obvious though, that the the printed book isn't going to go anywhere. Um, But what I have noticed is that, more and more traditional publishers are going really all out with their productions and their packaging. Um, and a lot of the books that you've worked on have benefited from this. The Book of Sith, which you mentioned before, you know, you could, could have gotten in that huge deluxe package thing that opened up and the book slid out. And Ghostbusters is just gorgeous with tons of inserts and beautiful production. Do you think that this is the direction that print publishing is going to continue to go to sort of draw people back to, to paper? Uh, I think it has to. And, and the reason is, you know, like I said, when I had books coming out, the first book I had published was in the late nineties. So even back then, um, you didn't have Wikipedia yet, you know? (laughs) Um, so, and if you look at books, this is before I started writing books, but you know, there are books like the guide to the star Wars universe. And it was a paperback printed on really cheap paper with very few illustrations, they're black and white illustrations. And it was just a A to Z listing of, of stuff from the star Wars universe. And that was it. And you'd never publish a book like that today. 
because if you wanted just an A to Z listing of, of facts, you'd go to Wikipedia. Right. Um, but Ultimate Star Wars is kind of almost the same thing as a guide to the Star Wars universe, but it's a hardcover and, and it's it has amazing illustrations <laughs> and it looks great. And it's it's we books are no longer a the primary delivery medium for people who want facts. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go online to get that. You use your phone to get that. What books are are, are a um, immersive way to sort of soak yourself in the information. So it's like the ultimate star Wars, you know, it's a gorgeous book, Mm -hmm. but if you want to know like, well, you know, what was the name of the, the star destroyer that, uh, Darth Vader commanded, you would not pull ultimate star Wars off the shelf and page through it to find that information. You'd look it up on your phone. The reason why you have a book like that is, is it's pretty to look at. And the the experience of paging through it is is a completely different experience than looking up a specific fact on uh, on online. And I really think that the more books move toward that, there is still, you know, you're you're never going to get the people who just need books for information. That ship has sailed. But there are a lot of people who want books as um, experiences yeah i guess and that's, that's what it, it. their experiences and that's a great way to describe it i mean ultimate star wars is I mean, it's not a book you go to to open up to find out that fact you're right i mean it's more of like a it's a walk through the woods you know rather than the single tree and i mean it's, you flip through it and you just you just enjoy the experience it's just gorgeous um yeah it, a walk it, a walk through the woods is a good way to put it i think i'm gonna steal that it's all yours you can (laughs) take it (laughs) so we're coming up on the our ending time here and i just i have to ask this we had adam bray on the show we're going to talk to trisha Barr. so do you care to talk any smack about them we want to start a geek author feud right here (laughs) (laughs) well trisha's wonderful i can't say anything bad about her but uh but adam adam's terrible no i uh uh it was funny because adam and i did a uh a book tour thing for ultimate star Wars. We went to, um, he did a bunch of stops, but I only did a couple of stops, but I did them with him. We went to uh, Indianapolis and we went to, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I think we went somewhere else. God, I don't even remember. <laughs> it was, it was the funniest thing. So, and it was just really cool to like hang out with him. And we did like a, a local TV thing and all that. And it was really fun. So, but if I have to talk smack about him, I, I we went to like a waffle house for breakfast one morning and I'm pretty sure he didn't order a waffle. So, oh. you know, I don't know what's, what's wrong with that. Guy. What's up with that guy? I don't know. As far as snack, that's, that's pretty tame. <laughs> it's, it's about as much as I get. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I know you've got to go. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. This has been wonderful. Okay. Thanks, guys. Great talking to you. Okay. Trisha, thank you so much for joining us today. This is, uh, it's great to have you here. Um, let's start with the obvious. How much did you love Force Awakens? I, it, I, I really like it. It's not yeah. my favorite Star Wars movie, but I really like it. And probably just for the one shining moment of seeing that lightsaber go to yeah. Ray. So, yeah, I loved it. So you say it's not your favorite. And it's not my favorite either, but where would you rank it? I'm sure you've I'm sure you've thought about that. Right now it's three. It's my third favorite. So Empire, I think, is one of the 
best movies there mm-hmm. is ever. Mm-hmm. So it's just the script. There's nothing in that movie that I wish I could fix. Mm-hmm. And A New Hope is up there right behind Empire Strikes Back for me. Those two are the high bar. And it, it this movie had some problems with pacing and a couple other things that just didn't make it snap quite as much. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. It's it's vying for number two with, with me. It's it's sort of what it what depending on the day and how I feel, it waffles between two and three. You know, and, and Empires wasn't my favorite at first. So you know, when I first saw it, it wasn't my favorite. So movies can change in your rankings as you sure. as they change mm-hmm. meaning. So uh, you know, that's that's not abnormal for Star Wars people to ch- movies to shift around as maybe something means more in it or means less in it. So. Sure. Exactly, And I find the general consensus among Star Wars fans is it does rank in there between some of the original trilogy. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned you mentioned that scene of, you know, the lightsaber going straight to Rey and that being sort of like the scene everybody like, yes, like that was the that was the moment. But was there anything in the movie that you were just genuinely surprised by, like really taking it like you did not see coming or or pleasantly or otherwise? Well, my podcast hyperspace series, we talk a lot about speculation and I follow spoilers. So most of the movie was not a surprise to me. Um, I, I, I felt even without the spoilers that Han's role was, wasn't a surprise and that none of that surprised me. Uh, I think Boyega's charm as Finn, that character was more endearing than I thought he would be. And um, I don't know all the buildup for Captain Phasma. She wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, it, and that's some of it in our minds too. So, you yeah. know, but you know, I, I've talked to other people and she sort of is the same thing that Boba Fett is, you know, a lot of people make Boba Fett more than he is in the movies. And maybe we pre anticipated that. Yeah. So. Well, I think a lot of people said that she looks like she's going to be the Boba Fett of the new trilogy, but I don't think people really understood what that meant. I think people were hoping that she'd have a larger role. Yeah. And, and she's awesome on screen and, but I don't have a problem with, you know, some people are just disappointed what happens with her. That doesn't upset me at all. It was just, I thought she would be in it more. And I love Gwendolyn Christie's presence and the idea of the character. So hopefully we'll get to see more. So it wasn't so much a storytelling thing. It was just like, Oh wow. I was really excited for this. And then. Yeah, definitely. So yesterday, I think, I think I saw probably, 40 or 50 people. I, I, have, I have a lot of friends on Facebook that are bloggers and whatnot. I think I probably saw 40 or 50 shares of the Where's Ray movement articles about Ray missing from the merchandise. This one specifically Monopoly. I was curious what you thought about the backlash against the merchandise. Do you think it's unfair or fair? Oh, it's it's fair. I mean, it's not just the Monopoly game. She was ta- she's she pilots her co-pilot the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. In, that, in, that's the worst. Yeah. And so she's taken out of that, that toy. And this has been an ongoing on fan girls going rogue. That was one of the first topics we mm-hmm. tackled was the, you know, Hera and Sabine being, you know, back, you know, kind of backburnered for the, the male characters. You can go and, you know, we're doing research and we're talking as far as for fangirl and other women are talking about this. They changed the, you know, the Luke lightsaber now in the Disney stores, the Ray lightsaber, but right. the stores cannot, you know, my, one of my contributors, Kay went out and asked and they can't even keep the, they're only getting a couple at a time. So you can order online, but it's another 1295 
to get the shipping just to get it normal time. If you go in a store, you cannot find the the raise. So the there Hasbro has had an issue, and I and I talked a little bit about other people. It's Hasbro has an issue with a lot of things. There are a lot of things that that even collectors are always disappointed about Hasbro. So they just have a problem in general. But this problem, their excuse was didn't didn't work. Luke is the mystery in the movie, yet he's in the Monopoly game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's just there's just a lot of trying to talk around it. And they've ch- they have announced that they are putting her in the game. Yeah. And I, it, it, some people are like, oh, this is reactionary. No, it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, this is you wouldn't put a Batman Monopoly game out without <laughs> Batman. So you can't. It's just not right, and you have to you have to correct it. And these licensing things don't happen quickly. So somebody had to make a call. There had mm-hmm. to be top level pushing to get this change to happen sooner rather than later. So, you know, the, I I believe this is acknowledgement from the franchise and from Hasbro that they needed to correct this. And unfortunately, yesterday when you searched Ray, all you got was negative things about The Force mm-hmm. Awakens when they're making this huma- humongous, tremendous run. And that's not really what they want. So there's a there is a um a, there's what you talk about in business costs of things. And this is the cost of not having someone, you know, safeguard these decisions as the licensing decisions. And this is where the mystery, the choice to save the mystery of the character has hurt uh, the appearance of the movie in the back end. And so, and some young girls that want to just go play and even boys, if they want to go play as Ray Mm -hmm. and have his character to imagine her with this hinders them. And, and so, you know, there's a trade-off in, in valuing the mystery, you end up hurting this initial ability to kind of glom onto these characters. But then again, it did, in the end, it made Elsa and Anna bigger and better for yeah. Frozen. So, but you have to wonder why it's always a short on the female characters that mm-hmm. this happens on merchandise. Yeah, I'm not sure that I buy the excuse that at least Hasbro has been putting out there that they wanted to preserve the mystery and the, you know the her role in the movie was as yet unknown. And I'm sure that there is part of that is true, but she wasn't a mysterious unknown character that just mm-hmm. showed up out of nowhere. I mean, she was in it from the very first trailer. Like we we knew that she was a character in the movie and we knew from the fact that they were emphasizing her in the the marketing from as early back as like one of the original trailers teasers that she was probably going to be a major character. We didn't know that she was a Jedi. We didn't know that, you know, how major of a character she was going to be, but we knew that she like, we knew that um, uh, Finn and Ray were going to be the two young new stars to carry the movie. So that I'm not really sure that I buy that Hasbro excuse that, you know, we didn't, we didn't know, or we wanted to preserve the mystery of her, of her role. Um, because I just, I mean, I don't think that it was a, as big a mystery as they're trying to spin it as at this point. It wasn't a mystery since Celebration. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, and I understand that a lot of this merchandise had to have been designed and approved and in production and in manufacturing a while back. But um, again, I mean, I, I just don't, I, I don't think that they, 
I don't think that that's a good excuse for them to fall back on. And it's not just Hasbro. I mean, Hasbro is taking a lot of the flack and rightfully so, but it's not just them. It's no Star Wars. They're licensing people. They have to approve all of this. They should be held as responsible for maintaining the message of their brand. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to go see where it goes from here. Like you said, Hasbro has announced that they're going to be adding her in. Um, if they're making a Force Awakens to, to Monopoly, if they're making a Force Awakens Monopoly, I'm not exactly sure why they had Darth Vader and Return of the Jedi Luke in there to begin with. And why make Monopoly with only four characters, four yeah. playable tokens? Yeah, it doesn't, it's six, right, or something usually? It's or usually eight. six or eight. I don't know. It's been years since I've played Monopoly. It's amazing to me that this many people are upset about Monopoly because who <laughs> plays Monopoly? It's an awful game. But it is one of their Hasbro's <laughs> flagship games, so it gets in the hands of an awful lot of kids. I, I understand that. Um, but, yeah, four tokens, four playable tokens for, for Monopoly seems like a like a little bit of a cheap, cheap out. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it will be interesting to see where this goes. Um, it's certainly not a grassroots movement. I mean, it's becoming very mainstream mm-hmm. at this point. Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, Time covered it. Entertainment Weekly covered yeah. it. You can't not go to a site. And really, it's it's not about the ga- that game. It's just the, the mindset of, the, you know, the answer. I think the answer really got some people. It was mm-hmm. almost like it was worse. That their response made it worse than just the fact that it was. So that's that seemed to me that was my reaction. I was like, oh, man, really? That that's your answer? I know. Fan theories are are all out there and I've I've gotten quite honestly tired of reading them. And I'm I'm tired at this point of hearing about people's. Theories about who's related to who and what's the secret. You're not going to believe this fan theory. Yeah, it's, it's, there's so many and so many of them. Are, every time I think I've read the dumbest theory out possible, I, you know, the Internet proves me wrong and they bring up a dumber one. Um, but realistically, theories aside, where do you hope that we're going to go in episode eight and nine? Just sort of broad strokes. Like, where do you hope the story is going to be headed? Uh, broad strokes. I could see. And there's a lot there, you know, there's a, some theories of different parentage. I, my biggest concern is that we don't end up with this all being about Luke or that it becomes a um, Luke and Leia battle by proxy of their children. Uh, it needs to be about these characters. And it also, if we keep, if Star Wars does, isn't careful, they're going to be, they, if you keep diminishing the role of mothers and, and of children, children, and we talk about a lot of daddy issues in Star Wars, if you keep diminishing them and you don't give Leia and Padme some, um, how would you say, they need to have a legacy as well. And Luke needs to have a legacy, but more importantly, you have to remember that characters only have a legacy and then the next generation has to make their mark. So we... Just I hope that they don't lose sight of the fact that this needs to ultimately be um, about establishing new legacies and not all going to Luke and Anakin, because I see a lot of that reaction. A lot of people's initial things were like, oh, this is, you know, Luke can be people want him to be the dad. They want him to be the founder of the Jedi Order and they want him to be the redeemer of Anakin. And one person can't do everything. And Mm -hmm. I think we need to be careful that Star Wars doesn't get trapped in that. And I also heard some people are like, oh, well, uh, 
you know, they were talking about how great Ray was. And then it was like, well, it's Anakin. Um, what is it? Uh, you know, reborn in this new body. I'm like, well, again, you take this great character with agency and you just say that it's Anakin's chance at redemption to redeem everything he's done in life. So mm -hmm. the, all theories that come in and are playing that role of going back to the, the daddy issues or the leak and Anakin concern me. Yeah. That's the biggest concern. The biggest issue I have with so many of the theories is that Star Wars fans as on the whole seem to want seem to think that the Star Wars universe is very small. Like the galaxy that's a very small galaxy and everybody's related to everybody else. And I don't understand why Ray has to be related to anybody. You know, I don't understand why any any of the new characters need to have a lineage that goes back mm -hmm. to a character we already know. They could be their own people, um their own characters and I understand that the first six movies were sort of, you know, Luke and Anakin's story, but I feel like this is the perfect chance to, to change that. And it doesn't always need to be the story of those two people or the, you know, that father and that son or that, you know, then that daughter or son from, from Luke. This is the perfect opportunity to widen that galaxy and, and expand the universe and say, listen, there's more than one family in this galaxy and, we, and they all have stories and we can tell lots of them. Yeah, um, and and absolutely, and that's the thing. Is it just the Skywalker saga, or you know, you can talk about going broader to anybody's saga, mm -hmm. but I don't even think people get into the thinking about it's there's the Solo, the Skywalker, the Amidala, you know, all these different families that come together. I loved seeing you know different names like Antilles and all those other sure. families that mm -hmm. could be important. So, yes, I, you know, that is, we have to be careful, you know, especially if you, our biggest, for a lot of us, our biggest memory is, no, I am your father, mm -hmm. you know, and we're almost too attached to that moment mm -hmm. as fans. Let's um, move away from Force Awakens for a little bit and talk about a few other things. Um, it, obviously, based on this conversation and everything else that you're involved with, uh, you're a huge Star Wars fan. Um and you recently were one of the co-authors on Ultimate Star Wars from DK. And I'm just wondering, when you get tasked with a project like that, how do you separate that deep-seated fandom that you have from having a job to do when you have, you know, you have to just buckle down and write and you're sort of geeking out over what it is that you're writing? But do you ever sort of let, does, does that inner fan ever conflict, conflict with the, the job that you have? No, it, well, you have to have something that makes you really passionate to want to sit up until two in the morning and do it's like doing a term paper yeah. as far as how much research you have to do and you've got to do your homework and you know how much fans can find the things that are wrong. And, you know, I, I got the inevitable. Well, did you write this passage? Because I have a bone to pick with oh that person. And. <laughs> Luckily, I wasn't the person, but you're just, you know, you you know how fans can get, they can see it was on a, a, a weapon. Uh, and, and you know, you're just thinking it's, it was literally, the weapons are usually like 50 words. That was yeah. your limit. <laughs> and so you're thinking, oh man, this person is just like, they got a bone to pick about 50 words. So you're, you're trying to be, you know, to respect that and also respect the things that you hoped for as a fan. Um, from things. And for me as a storyteller, I hope that that what's in Ultimate Stories doesn't lock down 
a future storyteller from doing something different. But I, re I remember I had, you know, one moment where I was really passionate about, I had written some of the planets and I was told, well, they aren't like some of the other planets talk about the locations. And I was writing about Alderaan, for instance, and it felt like the importance of Alderaan as a, as a location was its political importance, as mm -hmm. in you wouldn't write about Cuba and not talk about the importance of it in the in the geopolitical uh, climate of the world and where it is. So you can't write about Aldern and just say it's a pretty place. And, <laughs> and I, and I put, you know, I pushed back. Sometimes you just have, you know, that, you know, editors are looking at one thing and you're like, no, I know I watched every episode of the Clone Wars and it was all there to establish the importance of these worlds and the politics mm -hmm. of Star Wars. So they weren't just planets. They were, very important. Um, and so I fought, I fought back on a couple of those things. So I needed to be a fan to say, no, right. this mm -hmm. is what it should be. So, so what, what parts of the book were you ultimately uh, working on the most? We got a list and it was, you know, it's broken down into characters, locations, vessels, vehicles, and technology. So, and pretty much I thought I'm a low man on the totem pole. This is my first hours book, you know, mm -hmm. Ryder Windham and Dan Wallace and yeah. Adam Ray. <laughs> and, and so I was really surprised I had Luke and Leia. And then when you get Luke and Leia, you go, Oh man. Okay. And then, how do I narrow it down? How do I narrow it down to two pages? Yeah. And how do I get it right? And you had to kind of break it into like three or four stories. So you, you have to break them down into, you know, what's their arcs. I'm a storyteller that actually ends up being very easy to me because I'm used to breaking down, you know, stories into synopsis that you have to learn how to, to sum something down into a one pager or a six pager, depending on what someone's looking for. So it, those didn't, it was, weren't as challenging. The Clone Wars was mostly my characters. That was me. I did the Clone Wars. Those were challenging because some characters like Shuggy pops up in, I don't know, she was probably in a dozen episodes. And, but you have to figure out what to say. You get a hundred words. <laughs> so, and they, and this is supposed to be what people are going to look at and take away and know what Shuggy is. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the Clone Wars characters ended up being really hard to do. <laughs> to do. Yeah. And then it was, it was, you know, sometimes you would get the pictures like Satine and, um, you know, there were some characters that had the similar names that it was like, no, that's not their picture. So you had to also be the, you know, kind of the checker on that kind of stuff, because there's no way that everybody's going to know about all the Clone Wars characters. There's just too much in that for any one person to really know. So you have to pay attention. Did the four of you um, do a lot of collaborating or were, did you sort of work in your own silos? We were in, we were in our bunkers writing as fast as we could. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally it was we would get proofs back and sometimes you'd look at it and you're like, I'd written so much. I was like, I'm reading it and I'm like, this doesn't seem familiar. And then I go, ah, this isn't my page because also the page <laughs> numbers were changing. So they would send you your pages and then you'd go, no, no, no. But now I moved. It moved. So that's not my page number. So, you know, there was a little bit of that trying to, you know, what was there were two times when I was like, oh, I'm reading this. I'm like, this doesn't really seem familiar. It looks really good. But, uh, <laughs> Who can I thank for this? <laughs> yeah. And one one thing that people don't realize is like a lot of time they're trying to fit things in so they might say okay we need a caption that's this big so you write the caption and then they 
do some adjusting and the book is beautiful. It's beautiful it what really they is. did, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a work in process. So you progress. So they send it back and they say, all right, well now it needs to be a little bit shorter or we change the picture because it was, you know, there was a lot of dark on this page. So we put a lighter picture or Lucasfilm gave us a better picture. And, you know, some of the time, some of the pictures like for Luke and, Leia or the main characters I did uh Soka, did Asajj Ventress, I did uh for being quote unquote the low man on the totem pole, they you got some good entries. There. Oh yeah, I got the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> that was my favorite. Mm. I was like the Millennium Falcon, I got uh Red Five, Luke's Wow. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, those are some fun ones. You know, I got to, you know, sometimes they were like, Well, if you have a breakout, something to be different. So I wanted to write about that the Millennium Falcon had the droid brains, the the three different brains. So she's almost like a, you know, there's three personalities. So it was sort of added that little thing in there because it's from the movies. And, you know, it thought it would fun it would be fun that she, yeah. you know, she's kind of a quirky ship that maybe has a mind of her own because people like that kind of stuff. We like the droids mm-hmm. uh you know, BB eight with this, you know, little cigarette cigarette mm-hmm. lighter thumbs up type thing. That, <laughs> you know, the droids might have a little personality. Um, it's, it, as you said, it's a gorgeous book and it really is beautiful, but it's also the kind of book that it seems like every year or a couple of years, they could go back and just make bigger and bigger as they keep adding to the universe. Um, have you gotten wind of anything like that? Are they planning to go back and revisit that and make a second edition? I'm sure that will be the ultimate, ultimate, uh, Star Wars <laughs> they're going to run out of adjectives the like, ultimate titanium ultimate yeah. edition <laughs> yeah and you, you know the fun thing is every there were a couple of different things that were you know it's supposed to be the movies the couple of comic books that were based on the Clone Wars scripts and the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels mm-hmm. I feel like that this book is a is a point in history I like yeah. and I know that there is this you know we want to go back and make the revised edition but I hope they just do a new book and yeah. this one is what it is, which is this is where Star Wars was. It's ultimate 2015 pre Force Awakens. Pre Force Awakens, because yeah. if you everything's going to be different now, mm-hmm. everything's going to be different, and so this is a really nice point to just look at it. And and we know that there, this was given to people who are working on, you know, on stuff in Star Wars. It's their resource to know where we were. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, your website is called Fangirl, and mm-hmm. the term Fangirl has basically become almost mainstream at this point, thanks to people like you and Ashley Eckstein, who we also had on the show. So we talked a little bit about this with her. Um, but I'm wondering, in your opinion, do you think that this is a like a quote unquote? Is this a golden age for fangirls? Yes, it is. A, it is a golden age. There's definitely a an appreciation that and it all comes down to appreciating that women can be consumers too Mm -hmm. and that that there's money to be spent and to be made in in that side but also in you know women are supporting each other and i you know i remember i've had in the where's ray stuff i've had some negative reactions from male fans Mm. over the last couple of days were like, this is why I hate feminists or, (laughs) and, and it's okay. I get, I get that. I don't see that it's a feminist issue. She's the main character of the movie. (laughs) I Um, mean, it has nothing to do with feminism. It's like you said, you would not make a Batman anything without Batman. (laughs) Exactly. It's just, it's just a common sense issue. And then I had a collector who said, we collectors have bigger concerns than you do and tweeted back to the mother of the young girl who's, 
start letter started this whole thing and myself. And, you know, you, you look at those in your, and this is the same that I experienced in the message boards back in the prequel trilogy mm-hmm. and the NJO. And you would, and I was also told that I, women are overreacting. That was one comment. And I was told that a lot back in the day when I would talk about Padme. A lot of women were told that you're overreacting. Talk about Jaina, you're overreacting. I was I was essentially told that I could not go into the book forum or the, the literature forum and talk about Jaina Solo. I could not control myself when I because I overreacted. I was banned from talking about that character only, which is kind of ironic because... Now it doesn't matter because Jaina is, but at the time I was overreacting, <laughs> but now when that happened, nobody can censor me on Twitter and no, and I can say what I want. I think people know from Twitter that I'm pretty reasonable. I'm pretty clean mouthed and I don't go overboard on stuff and I stick up for myself. But when that happens, there's a, also a community of women who feel like it's okay to stick up for people too, which was one of my goals in fangirl was to learn to teach other women how to stick up for themselves because I stuck up for myself and the choice, the decision they made was to just ban me because they couldn't take the fact that I would just turn things around on them and say, that's not true. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sad that it happened, but you can see in those comments now it's the same it's the same feedback, but now there's a community that just says, no, we're really not going to accept that yeah. answer. So it's, it's just, it's that, it's that mindset of, I don't agree with what you have to say. So just stop talking. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't even listen to you. It, and it, it, it's true. <laughs> it I, drives me crazy. And it, it really does. It this, The whole Ray thing. And I, and I know that's just sort of the, the most, um, prominent aspect of, of of this whole thing right now but it's it's not a feminist issue it's not a female mm-hmm. female issue it's 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 just it's idiocy on the turn on the on the part of of the merchandisers and the marketers to just leave out a main character mm-hmm. regardless of her sex or you know her race or whatever it's just that has nothing to do with it it's she's the main character of the movie. Why would you leave her out? You know, you imagine I mean, if there was no Han Solo toy back yeah. in 1977, yeah. <laughs> it would be like, what? <laughs> and I'm a girl and I played with the Han Solo toys and yeah. I have seen tons of my friends saying that their, their sons mm-hmm. want the Ray stuff yeah. too. And that's, it was that it's not a gender thing. It's about some, a character that inspires you. And sure. It's, it's just not, I mean, I was sitting next to two guys and, you know, some people, the marketing sort of hid the ball on what was going to happen. Everybody thought Finn was going to have a fight with mm-hmm. Kylo Ren. And mm-hmm. there were two guys next to you. When that lightsaber flew, they were, it, so that was like my second viewing. I've been to it six times. It was like, yeah, boy, screen. <laughs> I mean, they were so excited and I'm like, see, it's, it really is possible. Yeah. Uh, they, and they had no idea and it didn't they weren't like oh man that stinks uh and through the whole fight sequence they were screaming and hooting and yeah. yelling um mm-hmm. and i was just kind of crying so it it was one of those things where you're just like ah, yeah. i can't believe this is happening to you. well i mean for, for me even at the start when she was when she was kind of going through the the old ship there and then she you know she has the mask all on and then she takes it off and you see that it's ray I was like, you know, I didn't know if it was a man or a woman in it at that point. But then when I saw it, I was like, that is awesome. 
that she was, you know, that she's going to be one of the characters. She was being, you know what I mean? She was a great she character. She was just being awesome. Yeah. Like, <laughs> my, uh, my friend Kay, who blogs on Fangirl, she cosplays Ray. And she met a Ray cosplayer a gentleman at Dragon Con. Okay. And he, had, he had just seen the costume pictures from Celebration from the exhibit. And he didn't know that it was a female character. He just thought it was really cool. And he's yeah. kind of into junk and stuff like that. So he started to build the this costume and then someone said well you know that's a girl and he's like okay but i still like the I costume still, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he wears it proudly and so i don't think you know i wear haunt i got my han solo stuff that i wear yeah. all the time and mm -hmm. i love it so I, I you know it's it's great it i i think it's fantastic so yeah I, it, it's an antiquated idea that i think a lot of PR marketing people have that boys will not play with a girl action figure, which mm -hmm. I think is the the root of why nobody could find Ray. You know, that's the root of the whole Where's Ray thing is that they think that boys are not going to play with a girl action figure. And I think that's just wrong. I think that's inherently wrong. I think I know a lot of other dads who have little boys who desperately want a Ray action figure, desperately want a Princess Leia action figure. Um, my son adores Captain Phasma. He's four years old, and I thought for sure once he found out that it was a female, he wasn't going to like mm -hmm. her anymore. But no, he still loves it. He still loves the character. He still wants the costume. Um, and I, I think that this whole idea that boys can only like boy characters and girls can only like girl characters is so outdated, and we just need to abandon it at, at all levels. you know. And I think that it's slowly starting, but I think that until it really gets... Mm -hmm ingrained in the you know i hate to say in the corporate world you know but I, until it gets ingrained in these people who are actually making those decisions it's going to be really hard for the rest of us to change it well and yeah, the, oh yeah the the, the sad the sad part to me is that people i don't people think it for some reason like when my son was at we were at the mall waiting and he was playing with but he had shopkins and he was playing with them and people would walk by and comment like i could hear them talking to each other about it and i'm just sitting there shaking my head like why it doesn't matter yeah kids, it's, kids it's like what they like they like their, and you know at my age like lincoln logs and legos were not sold as gendered no like, mm -hmm. I, and you know i saw star wars and i was eight years old, eight years old in 1977 and i remember i mean you didn't Link, there wasn't like a boys and a girls aisle. We just had Lincoln logs, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. I built stuff, and I became an engineer, and I never thought anything of it. And then you, all of a sudden, you're going, "Why is everything pink?" And I love pink. Yeah. I love pink, mm -hmm. but I, I also think that men look awesome in pink, and they should <laughs> wear it. It's a really good color on them. Whenever I see guys in pink, I'm like, "That really looks good on you." Yeah. My wife agrees with you. That's why I have a few pink shirts. Yeah, it's a fantastic <laughs> color on men. It looks better on men than women. <laughs> um, I mean, we're talking about fangirls, and I think it's interesting that at the same time as that term has gained prominence, the term fanboy has almost become derogatory. And I'm, I'm wondering why that is. Is it only because of the way that it's been used online, or is there something deeper to that? Well, you, I mean, remember the fanboys, the movie was a lot about regaining respect because fanboys was a derogatory term. And I try to be really careful because a lot of times for me, my, my, uh, how would I say the things that happened to me negatively were with men in, in the fandom. So sometimes you would say, oh, those fanboys. And I try to, I try to rein myself in 
but I can, you know, sometimes that, you know, what we as fangirls have to be careful of pushing back and putting a negative connotation in a way that we didn't want to be, um, neg- you know, derogatorily talk about. And just sometimes people say, oh, you know, there's just this, there was on the news, it happened several times, all oh, the fanboys standing in line for The Force Awakens. I'm like, yeah. yes, the people, those people are standing in line for charity. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> needs to be standing in line. And, and they're sort of like mocking it. So there's just a sort of, you know, and boy more than girl, is it's a more prominent term. So when someone speaks gen- just generically about fans, they'll say, oh, those fanboys standing in line. Mm-hmm. And so... And anytime I ever heard anybody say, oh, those people are standing in line, I'm like, first of all, I have friends who are standing in line. Mm-hmm. And second of all, they're doing it for charity. So, you know, so more, a lot of it's just about making people more aware because they they see things on that don't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> really? <laughs> you, know That's, you know, I'm a blogger, but don't believe everything you read on the internet. Only believe what I write. Exactly. There you go. There you well, go. The, the fans standing in line had the last laugh this time, too, anyway, right? Okay, they got invited into the party. Yeah, my, yeah Sarah, Sarah from Fangirls, one of my co-hosts, she was like, oh, something's happening. We're going to get to stay. And, <laughs> and then they didn't know what was happening, but they were kept being told to stay. And then she texted me. She's like, I'm so cold because it's really <laughs> cold. And they weren't really prepared to stand in, out in the open for a long time with no shelter. But they said it was all worth it. And oh, sure. I oh, saw yeah. some of those pictures. It definitely looked worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so even though I understand that they're vastly outnumbered by their male counterparts, there is a history of strong female characters, especially in, in genre stories and film and in literature. And I'm wondering, is there one that you hold up above all others? Ooh, one. Do I, I only get oh, to you don't, one. Uh, I, you don't have to just limit it. <laughs> I, would, I would say, well, Leia, Leia defined who I, she's the most important character in me as a person, I believe. She was the most impactful character. If I were going to look at a character that I felt really embodied the heroic spirit of what I would like to see in characters, it would be Korra. Mm. And she's, you know, I just like that I'm the avatar deal with it. From yeah. That was her opening line. And, and there, her story isn't perfect, but her story is about what I think heroes should be about, which is building families, not necessarily blood families, but families that you fight together for the right thing. And sometimes fighting isn't what you need to do. Sometimes it's just putting out your hand, which is that great gesture from Ray in the force awakens. So there's a lot of things that Ray does for me speaks to me as a character, because I see a lot of Cora in her too. Um, do you have a favorite Star Wars story, book, comic, anything? Oh, yeah. And <laughs> Dark Journey is one of my favorite books as far as that. I love Lost Stars. If people haven't read Lost oh, Stars. So good. It, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Matt's, Matt Stover still set a high bar for he wrote the Revenge of the Sith novelization. That is one of the best books. There's not a word out of place for him. He just is a really good storyteller and really good at point of view. But Claudia's really good too and she didn't have a lot of time to write this well you know there's but it's a really good book yeah and, we, we had her on the show it's just okay. it's just a phenomenal book 
Yeah, it is a phenomenal mm-hmm. book. But, you know, the NJO had some good stories. The, the, they had There's a really strong heroine's journey for Jaina in Vector Prime through Destiny's Way, which I write about on the blog. I like I like those. And, you know, Zahn's original foray into the Thrawn trilogy yeah. are still great reads. And anything by Aaron Alston, you know, he just he he was really strong in what he did. I miss him. Yeah. He would have he would have liked Ray. <laughs> <laughs> um, fantastic. Trisha, thank you so much for joining us. Mm-hmm. I know you are on a whole handful of podcasts. Do you want to tell people where they can find you and where they can hear you? Yeah, I'll give you a fangirls going rogue. We were on Rebel Force Radio. We are now solo. We have our own website, fangirlsgoingrogue.com. We have our own Libsyn feed, iTunes, all those, all the pod- podcasters that you can get on. So we hope people will come over and check us out as far as, you know, we, we're one of the first Star Wars fangirl podcasts. We're not the only one, but, you know, there's not a lot of places where you can find mm-hmm. And we try to be really inclusive. Fangirl blog, you can find me at Fangirl Cantina. And if you like the story of Ray, my book, Wind, it's W-Y-N-D-E. So it's Trisha Barr, the name of the author, if you want to search on Amazon. The story of Vespa, she is a prodigy. She is an amazing pilot. And she is a supernatural hero that finds out and discovers that she is along the way. So there is a lot, there's actually a scene in the force awakens that freaked me out because it's when, when Ray is hanging in the star killer base, mm-hmm. climbing up, there is a scene exactly like that in my, in my book that it, it mm-hmm. kind of freaked me out. And it was written be- before <laughs> somebody, the force. Somebody awakens. read your book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, a space, it's a space opera and it, you know, very star inspired by star Wars. Yeah, so if it kind of makes sense. Yeah, if you, yeah, it kind of makes sense. So if you like Star Wars and you like Ray, I encourage you to check that book out. It is a monster. I like long books. I like <laughs> Game of Thrones size books. So it you it's a meaty one, but I I've gotten really good feedback on it. Fantastic. Um, and we'll link to all of that good stuff when we put up the episode. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to talk with us. This has been amazing and uh hopefully we'll be able to have you back sometime maybe when rogue one comes out we can talk about that oh awesome okay thank you so much yeah bye thank you well that's it for this week on the great big beautiful podcast i feel like i should have music bumping like you know what i mean just going all the time when we talk so we can kind of slowly cool jazz it in could you know you are the one who edits these episodes it's true i could yeah that's cool (laughs) but i don't have the rhythm when i'm talking you know what i mean like the welcome to the great big beautiful podcast all right man slow jazz it's very improvisational (laughs) it doesn't have to like there's no rhythm you don't have to like go along to a beat or anything just 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 flow with it man let it let it consume you right 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 all right guys so thank you so much for coming by Thank you for hitting that download but uh, the button or whatever it is. If it auto-downloads, I don't know. Yeah, Thank or you the for... stream or the subscribe. Whatever you do to listen to us, keep it up. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. <laughs> Tell your friends. Get them to do it too. Yeah. Peer pressure. And, but most importantly, thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, mm-hmm. However you do it, whether you do it online, on your computer, on your phone, streaming, downloading, whatever you do. Um, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Like we said at the top of the right. show, if you like this episode, um, you know, tweet Trisha, tweet Dan, let them know that you heard them. You liked them. Um, 
tweet the show, tweet Justin, let me know, you know, just mm-hmm. get in touch with us. Uh, let us know what you think, what, you know, if you've got ideas for other guests, what you want to hear, if you've got criticisms, let us hear it, you know, right. just anything, let get in touch with us. We can talk, we'll chat. We're nice guys. Exactly. And we'll give you the contact info in one sec. I just wanted to mention 2016. I want to make sure and Jamie, I'm sure you'll agree. I haven't really told you about this yet, but Uh-oh. maybe create a little bit of a community around the show. Um, we're thinking about not thinking about, I'm in mean, the plans of developing a website for the show and maybe being more active on social media, you know, just kind of getting it to be a community where we can collaborate and talk and, you know, one big like, happy family. I like it. Cool. A great, Good. big, beautiful family. <laughs> maybe we can all go to Disney and go on the ride together. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> When, yes, yeah, that's up. what we can do. A Once we up. know that there are enough of you out there listening to us, we'll have a meetup at uh, at the Carousel of Progress. Yes, yes. <laughs> or a, or a comic convention. Who knows? Yeah, and we could we'll just, I'll, you know, we could just like bring the song and we'll just play it. <laughs> Sit in a circle. All right, guys. We are at the GBB Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. I am Justin Connors at one forty Justin C. And I am Jamie Green at the Roarbots. And you've just been great, big, beautiful podcasted. Nice. I like it. (laughs) The new tagline. (laughs) All right, guys. Have a great week. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.